0: Chopping minyacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm <laughs> Dave in the shed, <laughs> not moved around with my bookcase yet. Rupert, with me is Chris, comfortable <laughs> in the booth in the lighting corner. Yeah, Chris.
1: maybe I'll I'll change the angle of my booth setup to go 45 degrees.
0: No, oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, you know. yeah. Just so many endless hours can be uh, spent optimizing your desk setup, but Chris. got a lot of uh css stuff to kind of talk about here today yeah that's
1: more interesting we we took up too much of your minutes last time blabbing about setups although i could keep going because i have so many things i know getting a shipment this week i'll wait for Uh a future episode Uh um there's some stuff you know this was an interesting thing to me is in the css world there is a ton to talk about happening in css actually i think we're gonna grab uh mr adam Argyle. you know he's been a He's just at the forefront of all that stuff. Yeah, he knows works all at stuff Chrome. that's going on.
0: He's like, yeah. what, he's like CSS advocate at Chrome or something? Like, he's the only person... Yeah, that I don't
1: know or? what the, the title is, but it's a weird role. It's just, you know, um, but it's cool, you know? It's like CSS guy at Chrome. I yeah, guess it's yeah. dev, dev, dev evangelism, but I wonder how they... I wonder how they like, who does he report to and how, what is considered success? You know, is it like tweet likes or what? I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to say, but I'm happy to increase his success metric by having him on the show because he showed me this spreadsheet where he's just like, this is stuff that like just got specked and is just dropping. And this is stuff right behind it. And this is the stuff right behind that. And it's like, holy what? Yeah. There are these huge rows of stuff, you know, everything is getting talked about recently, you know, nesting and stuff. So cool. But there's a couple that are in that first column that have that have dropped, but not from Chrome which is so cool to me. Hot drama, Yeah, I'm eating my words. I was, when Firefox had those last big layoffs and they said, we're not only laying off these people, but we're laying off like the web platform team. Yeah. Uh, To me, that was Firefox saying, well, okay, we still have this like browser, I guess, or whatever, but we're not gonna like innovate on it, you know? Like we're not gonna like ship new features. It just is what it is. It's, that's not true. They've totally been shipping stuff, yeah, including good. this these color functions in CSS that Safari and Firefox have, some of them anyway. I think Safari has different ones than Firefox has, but some of them have the same that Chrome doesn't have. So they're kind of running ahead of Chrome for some CSS stuff, which is like, okay, Chris, you were just super wrong, and enjoy these new awesome color functions because they are amazing. One of them is color contrast that I know you looked at. It's a yeah. function, right? So it's the value for color. So you could say color colon color contrast what do you give it how does it work
0: okay so as i understand it and based on like the examples i saw um and this could be the safari implementation but you say you say background color whatever that color is to you you know black or white you know thick light mode dark mode versus foreground color one comma foreground color two comma foreground color 3. So you have that VS character. Safari seems to require it. It's not in the spec, but maybe, you know, I was looking at the wrong spec that's way totally possible. But um anyway, so color contrast and then it'll pick the color, it'll go through all those foreground colors and compare it to the background color and find the one with the highest contrast and just say that's the new color.
1: So it just go so it's doing this math for you. I've seen like javascript trickery that does all kinds of calculations to try to figure out whether a color will be visible on a certain background or not. And now you're just like browser, you do it.
0: Yeah. Your browser, here's a background color. It's a CSS variable. I, somebody will change it late. Like I don't, I really don't care. And then it can either be white text or black text. Please choose the appropriate one. That's what you tell the browser. And like, it's amazing.
1: And not what you're saying white or black because that's common, common, but it could be like one A, one really A, gray 1A, or a really 5, dark. 6, five yeah. six,
0: five six, five six, you know, whatever you want right. to do. Like it's it, but it just says, okay, I'll choose the one with the most contrast. And so like you need maybe two like similar colors if you're trying to do the light mode, dark mode thing. That's like the immediate like benefit here, but just in, in CSS in general, like I don't know, you maybe you don't get this as much just working on an app or whatever. But in client services, like, you know, we'll, we'll design the page, the white part of the page, you know, and then you'll go and then there's like gray part of the page and then there's another grayish part of the page, you know, and then <laughs> there's another, and then like they, they come up and they're like, oh, our brand color's blue. Can we get a blue one? And so you're like, okay, here's a blue one, you know, and like and it's hassle because you have to build like a theme for every section of the website, right? Like for all these, yeah. Right. Then you have to choose the right contrast color. You mix in light and dark modes. God knows what's going on, you know, like it, but what, I mean with this one, it's like, if somebody's like, Hey, I went into the CMS and I made a red one. I don't care, Chris, it's going to choose the right text color. Cause I literally, I just programmed the machine to spit out the color. I didn't, it's gonna result in like so yeah, much. It's like less a more CSS. robust system. Yeah. And so instead yeah. of like like whatever uh div class bg or theme dash dash blue, your your theme can literally be like div style dash dash bg colon blue. You know, like you set a CSS variable that is for the background. And that's how you change the background of the thing. You don't have to make these theme classes. You could still make the theme classes, but the theme classes would just be variable setters. Ta-da! Yeah. Like, Ta-da.
1: Can you use it for, like, border colors? and You can. Um, fills?
0: Yeah, you, you totally can. It's anywhere you set a color, so it'll choose the most, like, contrast, you know? Um, and that's where it gets a little interesting to me because, like, uh, the example I worked up had, like, a uh, had link text next to text, you know? Um, yeah. and in that situation, and I was like flipping the color of the link text to be, you know, contrast, you know, and like, I, I think in those situations, you, you actually want your like text and your link to be, I think it's like three to one contrast just so they're like different, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. but the, uh, but anyway, but if you have a underline, it should be fine. But, um, anyway, I just was like, I I think there's interesting explorations that can be had. Like, um, you know, like you want three to one on a border around an element, like an input element or something like that. So, and getting that three to one is, but now in three to one for light and dark mode, it's just automatic. It's one line of CSS. I mean, border, color. Yeah, yeah. Background color versus foreground one, foreground two.
1: I like that we're talking about. Yeah, you're using it as to make a really robust system and we're talking about only the happy path here like like this is what it was designed for and so this is how we're going to use it but as as we know with with new css things it it goes through a little life cycle of like okay yeah that's the that's the basic usage of it but then like digital artists get their hands on it and who knows what kind of weird cascading Things will happen from it or trickery, you know. All yeah. of a sudden, somebody's like, I did container queries with color contrast or something. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, because it internally weird. like does math. That's the kind of thing that people are like, hmm, I am going to leverage said math to, to do something.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, and I'm kind of like in a weird world. Like, could you like, you know, we're getting some more color functions too. Like, I mean, could you kind of like calculate a, I don't know, like, like calculate the like proper contrast ratios and all you do. I saw somebody's code pen demo. They set, you set a HS. L, like a hue, saturation, lightness, and it'll generate 10 versions of that color. I think it just drops the lightness up and down or whatever. But Mm. I just was like, hey, you're like one step away from like generating a whole entire color system where there's 10 of every, you know, like six complementary colors and stuff like that. Like you're one step away. I think it's
1: shaken out as how companies actually work. Like I know that makes for like a good blog post and it makes for good, I don't know, little tool websites and images for conference talks and stuff where you have like seven blues and seven reds or 10 and 10 grays 10 light grays and 10 dark grays and 10 uh, but you know that's kind of what we do at CodePen, and i kind of like it we don't have t- we have definitely have 10 grays because we're such a dark so i don't think we have 10 blues yeah but, uh Still, that might be a little overkill for us, but kind of cool, though. I love making them programmatic, and this is, you know, we also, you know, color has changed in CSS, too. I'm not sure if everybody's aware of that, but let's say you write HSL. You just don't have to put commas in it anymore. Did you know that? I didn't just, know that. You just don't have to. It doesn't hmm. matter, and it's probably better that you don't because that's the future syntax. And, you know, if you're going to add opacity to HSL, don't write HSLA Just write HSL with the no commas, and then at the end of it, put slash, and then space, and then the opacity after that. That's the new system. So you don't have to remember two different functions. It was designed that way on purpose. If you're going to use HSL, just use the HSL function. If you're going to use RGB, same story. Just use the RGB function. Hmm. And the reason I think they did that ahead of time is because there's new color functions coming, you know? There's... Whatever the SRGB and lab, and... right, and those are going to work in the the same way with the alpha. So why not just learn it that way, and then they are all consistent across well, the because they're well, not going to ship lab with commas. Hmm, hmm, it's hmm. just going to be the space syntax only.
0: Yeah, I, that's yeah. This is it's getting cool. Uh, like, I, yeah, I don't even know what these labs and LCHs do other than like give us more of the color spectrum you know like or something like it's hdr or something like that
1: but i can't talk about it super intelligently either but i did notice there's a there's like famously a panic website that used some pink with a lab color with a with like an hsl fallback or something that everybody could and if you look at it in a browser that supported it which i think was safari at the time it's like way more badass looking oh really it's like Like whoa that is a color that we just were not able to render on the web before it's like in your ass face pink that's like wow
0: i'll have to find that because it's almost like a you know when you like pantone colors or whatever you get the little chips you know and you're like yeah that's a good looking pink and then you're like oh it's got a hex cool i'll just plug that in my yeah just like it just, just looks like brown
1: right pan can, yeah. can do a lot and notably it it still can't you know like in a printing press the way that they're going to make a pantone well pantone is unique so let's wait on that for a minute. but often you print in cmyk, C-M-Y-K that's how printing cyan
0: worked. magenta yellow and black and-, and there's this
1: thing called a rosetta pattern I i think i have that right where it's like little tiny dots so if you get out a magnifying glass and look at like the next printed thing you get in the mail you'll see it's not it's different than a digital printer. It's not like if you print out your on your little like Epson at home or whatever. It's that's a different process. But when you're printing like lot like millions of something, that's really inefficient to do it that way. They print it with plates uh, with offset lithography. They hit it with with four rollers, CMYK, and with these little tiny dot patterns that trick your eye into mixing those colors together, and it works. And it works really nicely. You can print really yeah. nice stuff with CMYK plates. Most of the big printing presses in the world don't sh- aren't four color; they're five or six. And the reason for that is, is the sixth roller is often sometimes uh, like a coating. Like okay. we okay. might as well hit it with like shiny ass, shiny ass something. Yeah, yeah, why not? But you can do whatever you want because CMYK can't hit everything you want it to. There's like some blues. I think there's like cerulean blue that it just like can't make good. Like just you can't represent it in CMYK good. So people run what they call a spot and a spot is often a Pantone. It's often your brand color. Like I don't want to mess around with CMYK for our brand color. Anything that's our brand color. And you'll do this like when you're working in Adobe InDesign, you won't like just pick a color from the color palette. You'll pick a Pantone And so it'll be really specific. So when you send the digital file over, it won't even try to make a CMYK variant of it. It will be like, no, that red, that's a spot. That's Pantone. Exactly. 5309, whatever. And so then the design software will know to output an entire plate that's just that spot. Wow. So that special blue color will be the fifth color. So it's pretty common to run CMYK and a spot and a flood, you know, or whatever. Wow anyway that was way too much info but isn't that cool to know that cmyk has these real limitations for what it can it it can make a photograph just fine but if it it's just it is what it is we have no better way to hit ink with paper to make colors with its limitations and all and the web has the same rgb has the same problem but there's these new color things that come along that say we don't have those same problems yeah rgb is
0: 256 million colors and you would think oh surely that's That's enough (laughs) yeah however it it's just like isn't it's there's different worlds out there, so I don't know it's it
1: it's, it's kinda... not like there's one within that sea of two fifty six that's just like well, that one is way different It's like whole chunks like whole if you map color in a different way, it's like whole parts of that color globe that just aren't there,
0: yeah and even like the and then you're getting into optics, like how your eye is tricked by the color, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, red dress or what was it like blue dress, gold dress or whatever, you know, the, the, like, like just the way a, a bit of light change can actually trick. That your brain one was just...
1: truly mind blowing. Was so I was so mad.
0: I was mad. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, that's a blue dress. You idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I can't even remember what I saw at this point, but I was pretty opinionated too. You know, just fascinated but opinionated. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Netlify. Thanks so much, Netlify, for the sponsorship. Really appreciate it. It's kind of you know, in a sense, the de facto place to to to, to deploy your website to be your website host uh, especially if you lean into the the jamstack philosophy know we even i forgot where this came up last but is it like is it true that every single website on netlify is a jamstack website yes it is it's true because that's the like netlify can't like what's not a jamstack website is a php website or a ruby on rails or a python website where there's a web server that runs a back end language You literally can't do that on Netlify. So yes, you know, if your website is on Netlify, it's Jamstack because it's it's powered by static files. It doesn't mean that it can't have dynamic features. Because of course it can, because JavaScript and JavaScript runs and can do dynamic things. And Netlify helps you do dynamic things. It can help you with hosting your functions. In fact, it does an amazing job doing it. You just like put some JavaScript in a special folder, and it just deploys it as a Lambda function, which is amazing. But anyway, yeah, I just think that's kind of cool. Every website on Netlify is a Jamstack website. How cool is that? (laughs) And they do so much for DX along the way. You know, you just hook it up to a repo and it just poosh. It just goes there. Uh, The greatest thing ever. Thanks again, Netlify. And then, okay, so it's not only what is possible to represent, but how you represent it in literal numbers. And this is what I I haven't gotten like super good answers on yet. But you know, you know this, Dave, that developers like HSL because HSL is hue, which is just like a circle. On what does it go through? Two fifty-six or on something. Three sixty. Three sixty. And then 1 through 100 and 1 through 100, which are percentages of saturation and lightness. It makes sense in your brain. Mm -hmm. And you can design a system around it. You can very easily, if you want a 10-color thing, just make them 10 lightnesses apart on that scale. It's very easy to programmatically mess with. But HSL has the same limit, similar limitations as hex and RGB and all that stuff. So unfortunately, HSL isn't the isn't a pancia for us, whereas something like lab is that can represent way more color, but what are the numbers? Like, what is lab, you know, like, is it more systematic or not? And I don't know the answer to that yet. I think the answer is yes, but it's not as, I don't think it's as good as HSL is.
0: Yeah. I would say like HSL, you, once you understand there's this color wheel involved, you're like, Oh, okay. 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 But then with, uh, yeah, with, LCH and lab the stuff I've like looked at I just I was like I'm I'm gonna trust that it's good (laughs) okay guys yeah I I don't know what this these numbers mean but I'm gonna just trust that it's a good one so
1: this came up in an interesting there was a uh a color tool I linked to from from Eric Kennedy who pr- presented this really well cuz you can everybody can imagine a color wheel in your head right mm-hmm. like the 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 a literal circle one not like the photoshop representation of it but like a color wheel like yeah. a rainbow around in a circle but then fill it in all the way to the middle and then you pick two color and then the middle of it is kind of like white
0: mm-hmm. or
1: a gray mm-hmm. or black you know so there's low saturation in the middle Yep, yep, Right, that's where the grays live. So if you pick a color and it goes right through, and you're doing a gradient between those two colors, like across the middle. So two colors that are, is it complementary, I guess? They're they're not yeah. next to each other. They're opposite each opposite, other on the color. Yeah. So blue and yellow or whatever. Blue and yellow will go right through the middle, which means it goes right through that low saturation area. So if you do a gradient in CSS and do from blue to yellow,
0: you get the mud. It, it's
1: it's going to suck in the middle. Yeah. But if you do like... Red to blue, what's the middle? Purple. Oh, okay, you're yeah, going to get yeah. purple in the middle, and it's going to be high saturation purple. It doesn't have to cross through the middle. Eric Kennedy's got some tool that to, that kind of fixes this and goes like th- on an arc instead, and it's very interesting and all that. Um, but interesting, isn't it, that the color wheel has like real, real world implications for us here? You know?
0: Yeah. Well, and I as it, we I think we struggled to figure out what conic gradient does or whatever uh because that's a new css kind of feature but like and conic kind of does that it'll it tweaks it tries to go around the horn as opposed to straight through the the, yeah interesting so so if you did a blue to yellow in
1: conic it wouldn't do the same
0: yeah i don't know if it like goes through green land or what. It goes to Greenland and then it comes down. I don't.
1: That's weird because in my mind it should just go. It would go through gray, but it's how it paints it on the screen that's yellow
0: different. and blue make green. Let's put it green. It should go through Greenland. <laughs> I don't know. I don't
1: even. Do I even have that right? Are they opposites on the color wheel, bro?
0: I think it's yellow or blue and orange. Isn't blue it blue and orange? Yeah, Padres. Dancer. Padres. That's how I remember it. I think everyone uh-huh. does. So, San Diego <laughs> Probably Padres. everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> Uh.
1: <laughs> uh so okay so firefox is shipping stuff firefox? so is safari so is Chrome. everybody's shipping stuff which is great we got the three system and it appears to be healthy at the moment although there was an exodus from firefox and it was did involve big people you know people would you know there was when container queries was talked about a bunch they'd be like oh well we're just waiting for david Barron to drop his thing because david Barron is like the guy he knows fire. he's worked at firefox since it was a a kit <laughs> Which yeah is a baby, that's a baby oh, fox baby i fox, know because okay. we have a book about baby foxes um wow that was a, a side hey, hey. but anyway he his name gets quoted a lot in the like nobody knows more than this og firefox guy right yeah and then he's gone he's axed so to me i look at that and be like <clears throat> okay firefox good job fire the og firefox guy i don't know what the internals are like i don't even know if david Barron's a nice guy although i have met him once and he is a It seemed to be a very nice guy so glad to see you again someday david but i'm just saying i don't know the internals of that deal but then he pops it over at chrome you know Mm -hmm. congrats on your new role david but like the you you got to imagine that the the momentum of development of browsers uh Mm -hmm. just had a little shift in momentum there i would think with that exodus and entrance
0: yeah no it's it's curious i i'm glad You know, what's interesting too is browsers seem to be working on different things at different times, you know, uh, which is okay, but it also just in my experience here, 20 years of the web, like it ends up a little weird because one browser has a thing and two browsers don't and vice versa, you know? Um, so I, I hope it goes fast. It seems like it is going fast again, like CSS activity has picked up. So hopefully it, it, it will do good. Um, uh. I I don't know what's going on with Firefox still. Still haven't got the update, the memo. The uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I would like a uh, an update from the team on the blog. So,
1: yeah, I don't. You know, and like a real honest one would be good too. You know, like if somebody could scrub it free of overly optimistic Startup marketing speak, stuff. Yeah. That would be fine too. I know that's hard to do, but hey, man, we just crushing would
0: cool. it on privacy, SkyCloud. You got it. I don't want. Wow.
1: That. Dave, you're hired. I know.
0: Amazing. I should go work in the Valley. I think that's where my talents are, are most needed. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is great.
0: I do. I, there is a thing like you read like medium posts or whatever. And it's always like, Oh man, we were just crushing it too hard. No one was ready for our Bitcoin to toilets startup, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like every every utter failure is pitched as some success or whatever. Like we were acquired, AKA bought for a dollar. Like, you know, like, I don't know. People don't tell you that stuff. They just say they were acquired and everyone thinks, Oh man, they were acquired, but it's like for eight, eight dollars and (laughs) 99 cents. Anyway. But there is, I do want, I want to see
1: a little bit more though. Like, you know, we talked about container queries last episode a little bit, or was it this one? I can't remember even now.
0: Oh, last episode we talked about, we snuck in a little
1: container. Like, that's such a big deal. I I will not shut up about that. That's a massive deal for CSS. Firefox, once that gets spec'd and, like, in a happy place, Firefox has to ship that. So please, please, please prove that to me, Firefox. And, um element internals we mentioned less because we're talking web components and stuff i don't you know i think that's a big deal right like we you literally can't compose a form of web components without element internals chrome shipped it so like that's that kind of thing like i know chrome ships like too much stuff for the web for firefox to keep up with there are different amounts of People and money behind those projects. We, you put it very funnily at one point. You said that that Firefox is getting DDoS by Chrome as far as yeah, features thing, which is totally. which is funny. That's probably not changing, but it. I think that unfortunately means that Firefox has to pick like the most important ones to then ship. And I don't know exactly how you do that. And I'm surely my opinion is different than other people in the world's opinion. So some you need some kind of metric or something to do that but these things are a big deal so, you know if you don't ship element internals that means that web components are certainly not dead in the water but like d- different you know people can't it changes the face of the web a little bit when there's just stuff you just can't do if you don't ship container queries I don't know that just sucks because <laughs> people can't use them you know
0: yeah well and it's it's gonna there's the thing right like we're kind of back to like the Twitter outrage cycle stuff. Like we're just entitled people and you know, it's like, Oh, Safari doesn't have it. Oh, this they're yeah. terrible, you know? And like, it's, so it's really like in this climate of like, I am literally one icon click away from complaining, you know, to a large audience. <laughs> like, like you're really like in a tough position as a browser. Cause like to, to keep customers and your, your name, like unmarred, you know? I mean, you see it too on the reverse side, like when Chrome's like, you have to use AMP and everyone's like, Chrome is a stupid head, you know? So
1: that's, you You do see it on the flip side. Yeah. I saw a little, a little, a little death of AMP article the other day that I didn't read. It seems like it might just be kind of on the way out there. The search
0: carousel will now in May, will put fast sites in the search carousel. So, so, you don't have, it's not amp only Fair
1: enough. How does it do instant load then? Well, it probably doesn't it just doesn't. So, it just
0: and I even doesn't. think those gains were not as cool as they said. So why he puts on giant tinfoil hat is because they wanted to index their, your content on their service. Cause it's cheaper. Anyway, we'll talk about that later.
1: <laughs> I don't even think you need a tinfoil hat for that one. Follow the money. yo.
0: training AIs on your content.
1: Speaking of CSS things that have dropped though, you, you can use both of these across all the major browsers now. Um, all the way all the way through. There's these uh, pseudo selectors is and where which are um, they're literally the same, Dave. They just have one one difference. But I otherwise they're exactly the same. I don't know the
0: difference. So if you could tell me so I could look I cool will. on my podcast that would help.
1: Am I sure. <laughs> I feel a little contractually obliged to know about CSS stuff, so <laughs> is is like let's say you're going to write uh, you want to select your h1s, h2s, h3s, h4s, h5s. Yes. But within your main element. Yes. So right now you'd write main h1, main h2, main h3, main Barf. h4, main. Sucks.
0: L- I have these selectors in my
1: code. It recently. is, and you'd you'd probably just pre-process it, right? You just write main, and then nest the ones inside, and then you only had to write main once. But you know. I like it when CSS evolves to not need preprocessors. I work on several sites right now that use none at all. Whatever. This you'd type main space colon is, and then it's a it's a it's a pseudo selector, so it has. Uh, Well, this pseudo selector has parens, you know, you Mm -hmm. pass it stuff and you pass it h1, h1, comma, h2, comma, h3, comma. So main, and then the is function with all those in there. And that just, it means the same exact thing as comma separating all those selectors, but with main in front of it.
0: Awesome.
1: Just nice, and it gets especially nice when you use it multiple times in a selector. So if you then do you like within those H1s, you have a hover or something. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that gets or you want to select both your hover and your active state or something. Whoa, that selector can get just stupid, just really big and dumb, and it's very quick to express in this. So I'll put a link to our my almanac post in it or MDN or whatever. It explains it very well.
0: Where I would use this would be like form is or like form input or input is type equals text type equals URL type equals tell type equals genius
1: like genius
0: and it's one selector. It's not 52 selectors and like I'm going to use it there that's where i want to send it to me.
1: yeah because yeah. it's scoped it's in your case scoped to a form but i would probably scope it to a class or something just so you have a little opt-in mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. to those things anyway that's great you could or you could have three different ones i do that on CodePen. we have top label forms and side label forms and like big forms or something we have three different like form types and you yeah. got to select all the input crap inside of it in those contexts it's great for that So that is, is, but here's a couple things to know about it. One is that it's selector-forgiving. So if one of those things, one of those comma-separated things is a bunk, is screwed up, wrong. Not even doesn't exist in the DOM, but just, yeah, it doesn't exist, period. Like, it's invalid selector. It doesn't just conk out the whole thing like it would if you're normally comma-separating stuff in a CSS selector. It'll just nuke the whole thing, and then you're like, oh, Oh, that sucked.
0: I didn't know they did
1: that, but... Like, if you wrote P, comma-space... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well blark will select a blark element okay. but if you wrote p comma p colon dave uh-huh. there is no pseudo selector called uh, dave okay yeah yeah that's killed that's dead now you killed you killed all of that whole block
0: <laughs> wow wow yeah dangerous. dead zone wow. dangerous
1: indeed yeah so don't do that but if you put it inside of an is now it's forgiving and now it, that'll be fine
0: oh huh. okay well, that's
1: good. But it doesn't take pseudo elements in there. So it, the one I always want to use it for is um, colon colon selection, which works in Safari and Chrome. But you have to go colon colon Moz selection for Firefox still to this day. So it'd be nice to just do one block, right? But yeah. you can't because uh. you can't comma separate those selectors. So you have to do two blocks that have the identical crap inside them. But dumb. And you can't use is to fix it because it doesn't take pseudo-selectors. Okay, so that's is, right? Here's the weirdest thing to know about is. Is has no specificity by itself, but it does. It has the specificity of the thing in the comma-separated list with the most specificity.
0: Oh, whoa. Okay, so if I did p, that's pretty high because that's an element. That's
1: pretty low because it's an element, I guess, for specificity. So if you do p is... Or like form space yeah. is, which if you do a space like that, just it's like a star selector. It just means anything that is, yeah, you know, yeah. because you can scope this to a class or something. It could be form without the space is, but that'd be weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's easier to look at real code. Mouth coding, this is hard. But then if you said is, and then the first selector was like an ID, ID Dave, Submit, and then comma yeah, okay. uh, type selector type equals input or text yes, yes. or something now all of a sudden you're selecting an input but with the specificity of an id you've just like artificially bumped up that even if dave doesn't select anything you've mm-hmm. artificially bumped up that selector to the specificity of an id without actually having to select anything with an id
0: yeah okay that's a just weird so it's quirk.
1: yeah it is weird it's weird I don't know exactly know why that is, but I think it's, you know, you need specificity to something. Okay. So all that stuff we just learned where it works 100% identically the same, except for that no matter what's in that comma separated list, the specificity of the whole thing is zero, none wipes it away.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Because this came up in conversation because we were talking about web components, uh, like, like in the styles inside your web component, if you wanted them to be very low, you could maybe style it with where you know, like, and then oh, so yeah. all your right. com, your component is ready to be overridden. Um, I think that was Jonathan Neal came up with that, but anyway, just an idea. My, that's
1: where my mind went is like you should almost. I almost think you should use where by default because low specificity is like good usually in apps. Yeah, yeah. But the the fact that it's zero is like just weird enough to me that almost makes me think you should use is because it's like zero specificity is almost weirder than some specificity to me right. somehow.
0: Because if I was like, yeah, like where like pound Dave and then somebody else just comes around and I don't know, like just override, it's very easy overwrite to me with you know. like div you know yeah (laughs) really yeah with very little specificity yeah exactly
1: i did some contrived examples but i haven't used these in production enough to know what the to know what it really feels like to feel the pitfalls but one of the that i did like i think miriam pointed this out on twitter is that it's it's like a fun specificity hack Mm -hmm. that's but you know have you ever written like dot button dot button
0: (laughs) oh (laughs) you're like well Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Where
1: you just try to double it up to get it. You just double it up. You don't actually need two classes on the HTML element. You just art of it's just like you wrote the selector twice and you just so now it overrides dot button somewhere else because your new selector has two classes on it instead of one. It's mm-hmm. like a the dumbest specificity hack. But it's like short of having to do important, you know, because important on, on a particular property. So it's like a more it's like a middle tier specificity hack mm-hmm. is kind of opens that door where you can just put a fake selector in is that's as specific as you kind of want it to be. But you don't actually have to select by that thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay. just like a, a specificity hacker machine.
0: I like it. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just fun. Um, it's fun, and you can you can have
1: fun with it. I think your specificity hack could be like dot giving dot this dot slightly dot more dot specificity or something. So it's like anybody finding it will see what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and interesting. I'm thinking about like full bleed layouts too with where, cause I did the not using not, you know? And so like, you just Mm -hmm. like, like article, not image or whatever, you know, star, not image or something. It
1: not only takes one selector. So it's as specific as the selector you put inside of it, which is yet another thing to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or does it wipe it out? Mm. But you could do like article where is a figure or a table just make it full screen or like full width or whatever anyway ah yes indeed
1: yeah i like i like that list of being like i don't have to pick each one of these with a comma separated selector it's it's just a a nicety for writing the thing is it's not just a nicety it has all these other little side effects that you have to think about so just the way it is just one little css thing in the world i'd argue that those names are real weird the fact that they're they behave the same but just have specificity differences i don't have any better suggestion and i don't mind that they shipped so that's that is
0: and is v2 and is (laughs) yeah sure that sounds great
1: just is with two i's and two z's This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Jetpack. You can learn all of what Jetpack does at jetpack.com. See my, if you have no idea, just go there. You've probably heard me talk about it before. Just in case you haven't, it's a plug-in for your self-hosted WordPress site that brings a whole bunch of power. A lot of that power is kind of born out of the WordPress.com cloud in a way. It brings like a bunch of cloud ideas to a site that's hosted anywhere that you can host a self-hosted WordPress site. So it's kind of like, I need backups for my site, which of course you do. I definitely do. Uh, uh, and you can get real time backups by just through your Jetpack plugin, and they go and they back up uh, to the WordPress.com cloud, which is amazing. And that's where you go to explore your backups, download your backups, restore to places like that. So that's cool. But you, so you can kind of see that how the WordPress.com cloud is involved. Uh, that's how search is powered, too. You can have Jetpack basically totally replace site search on your site. You still have a lot of control over it, but it brings up this full-page search experience that's powered by Elasticsearch, uh, and it just has really great search results, unlike kind of the default built-in WordPress search. So that's, like, incredibly important to me, and I use that, too. That's a part of the Jetpack world, too. Now, think of those two things. Do you need one and not the other? Fine, because they're both a la carte. You buy them a la carte, which is kind of great. Also, it's a big uh, time for Jetpack. They are 10 years old this April. So having a big decade birthday for this. So it's a very mature product. And uh, uh, I'm just a big fan. Use it on all my WordPress sites. Thanks for the support. Here's a, this is a, this is one that like, it feels like the answer should just be like, or I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of this. Zach Kane writes in, and Zach, this is not, this is a very legit question.
0: Oh, it's uh, Zane Con. It's just
1: interesting. Zane Zane Con. Wow. Why did I, don't ignore whatever I just said. I'm facing a responsive design issue. If I develop a design for 768 pixels high, which is a, you know, that's a number that does have some meaning. There's plenty of computers out there that have that as kind of their max height in the browser. Then look at that browser But on a different screen, a screen that has a resolution where the height of that browser window then is 1080, you know, like 1920 by 1080 kind of thing, a vertical space, then my design basically looks cut off at the bottom. So what's the solution to this problem, you know? Specifically, he's talking about designing dashboards that are like not scrollable. Like you're setting a height on purpose because you're like, I'm setting the height of like, this is just a portal to some stuff. It's not a... A blog article where you scroll down or you know like most websites it's just like it just is there on the screen
0: yeah um i think zane has worked on my local covid dashboard possibly uh it's it struggles <laughs> with uh some of the stuff uh but there's so so i think with any dashboard right like like you know you can do 768 high but you need to recognize like there's even if it's a dashboard there's other tvs that have you know, higher resolutions and taller bits. So like, I, I, you need to build that tolerance into your design and like, make sure your thing, your like body HTML and body have height 100. And then your, your dashboard grid of widgets is also height 100% uh, or hundred VH or whatever you want to do it. Like that's like, yeah, hundred
1: VH seems to be like the ticket here, right? Like give yourself, give yourself the whole space like why would don't hard code a a, a height pixel thing right like yeah
0: just. yeah like the only place i would do a, a height pixel thing was if i was doing like twitch or backgrounds or something i knew i was like streaming at 1080 you know or 1920 mm. by 1080 like I, but you know you can like just I set it to where it's like a a you know a scalable thing like and in, and in you just make sure you Scale to that. You're gonna have it's gonna be weird. You're gonna have extra space, uh, but you need to kind of that's sort of the trick. Is like make sure your all your widget graphs and charts and whatever are kind of centered in the little boxes that are scaling up. So,
1: yeah, I think there's a like a whole learning. There's a whole bunch of stuff you learn. Like, are these SVG charts? Well, are you now you're dealing with aspect ratios instead of specific heights and widths, and you're setting things with grids and using justify content and align items and stuff so the things are being put in the middle of their containers here you know like i think if you're it's telling me that if you're setting a height with pixels you're probably setting a bunch of other stuff with pixels too and i think it's you know in the world of you know today's design which is like responsive design plus or maybe we should start calling it intrinsic design like jen jen simmons suggests that that this world is like it's not just like how many fluid columns anymore it's like just just arbitrary space all the hell over the place in every direction you know yeah it's a different different way of thinking and designing you can do it it's not that hard just maybe just an attempt to just wipe out pixels from your css give that a shot see what that's like to use only relative units and uh and when you can avoid a unit at all do that you know can you just align it instead you know
0: yeah no it, it there's a CSS grid and all the browsers have this tool now. Like I think most of them have a grid inspector. Uh, I know Chrome mm-hmm. and Firefox have, it. I don't know if Safari does, but basically like in your element panel, there's a little next to a, an element that is a grid or a flex box. There's the word grid and a little gray pill or whatever, click that grid word. And then you see the grid on the page. Then just make it fill up the page uh and there, there you go
1: pretty good those fractional so, units are your friend there and if your units like, can be used vertically as well
0: you know and if like you designed it for 768 like go go find a 1080p monitor and plug an hdmi into it and plug it into your computer like like test on the devices you're rolling out to
1: so yeah you know. yeah i think if you don't have access to that even zooming out was kind of would somewhat replicate that i
0: think yeah because it gets me like that's the like different laptops and stuff like are so different, you know, like like um MacBook Air or whatever is only like has like nine hundred and sixty eight pixels in height or something like that, you know, or like it's it's they're so devices are weird is what I wanna say, you know, like like I think eight seventy four is the tallest I can get a browser window on my brand new MacBook, you know that's not very tall, you know that's in the seven sixty eight range, but
1: yeah. You ever see these? I wonder what our what. How many people in our audience do the like, do the uh, the vertical, maybe the vertical side monitor? If I find this common, uh-huh. where you grab a monitor uh-huh. and you flip it ninety. Do I don't do have the a energy
0: minute? to do that, but yeah, I, it's yeah. cool. Like I just, I already am overwhelmed by Windows. I don't think I can do that. So <laughs>
1: yeah, like. I wanna see the Slack chat, but I wanna see what people wrote last Tuesday tall, really
0: <laughs> tall. I wanna see code, but I wanna see all the code No, it's cool. Maybe
1: that's it. Well, like what is the what is the number one use case for the super vertical? Is it so you can see more of a code file? I think
0: if you could see the top and the bottom of a code file, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, people are doing it with like ultra wides too. It's not just the the sixteen oh, by nines. They're just checking these ultra wides, like anyway
1: uh let's do a short and sweet one here get it from Nikki sweet hey what is when linking to another website is it a good practice to use target underscore blank that's the that's the attribute that you can add to an a tag so that when you click it it doesn't open in the same browser window it opens a new browser window but not usually a new window because every browser has tabs these days it's probably a new tab Mm -hmm. um i you know I've been very opinionated on this for years. So all I can give you is my very opinionated answer to this. Uh, so maybe we'll start with Dave. So it starts more chill possibly. If it, if it.
0: So I think it's a possibility. I, I think it gets misused and abused. I mean, people just have this weird brain where they're like, I want that person on my website forever, you know? And it's like, people like to just use websites, but like there's occasional use cases. Like, I think one thing uh, you rolled it out on on Shop Talk, or uh, maybe it's not in this version, but like where if the audio is playing, any link click will put it into a new window. Mm. That's maybe a good use case. Like if you have video running, this shouldn't take you somewhere totally random. Mm.
1: I really like that thinking. I like that. That's the kind of thinking I think this needs. You know, this for working twenty years in the web people don't change their defaults, right? Like, the mo- like some people do. Fine. Of course they do. Most don't on yeah. anything, yeah. anything at all, any setting. If you have it, the vast majority of people have it, whatever is the default setting you had it on. Think of attributes on an anchor link that way. Vast majority of links on the internet, internal, external, or otherwise do not have this attribute on them. The vast majority of websites in the world have that kind of default behavior of what a link does, which is just, it goes to the fricking page. So if you use this, you're doing that thing where you're not, you're changing the setting on someone without them asking you to do it. So I feel like it's a little bit like selfish and Dave put it perfectly that people use this because they're just like, I want to increase my time on site metric. Never leave my site. If you leave my site, you should open a new tab, but leave my site open because you probably didn't even want to leave it. You probably just want to ha- be here all the time, you know, but that's just silly to me. That's not, you're breaking the expectation of how links work. But I like that it's possible. I like that we have that ability. I wish it wasn't called target underscore blank for crying out loud in HTML, but that's the what's what we got. We probably
0: need a new one because that like also sends like refer stuff and stuff. But
1: anyway. Yeah, right. If you use it, you gotta set rel equals no opener and no referrer and as space separated values in order to be safe. Yeah, we could use a new one. Maybe that's a good opportunity for that. But like Dave put, if you're playing an audio file on a podcast website or something and you click a link, even an internal link, all of a sudden the audio stops playing, which this is a whole podcast I want to do at some point. because This is an interesting problem. That sucks. You you hurt their user experience in a way. Mm -hmm. We use it on CodePen in the pen editor because you're working on something like a Google, like Google Docs should have it for their link to Google Helps doc because you're, you're on Google Docs because you're writing a document. If you click the help, I don't want to just have my document just close on me. That, that has this, like, gut-sinking feeling like, oh, God, did it save? Like, how do I get back it to it? It
0: makes you feel like you lost data, yeah, when you're losing data, yeah.
1: So you should use it to improve UX when you can. Don't, you know... Don't stop playing their audio. Don't whisk them away from work they're trying to do. You know, if that's the case, if you're trying to increase the user experience because you have to open a new tab, then I think that's that's the kind of the acceptable use to it. But just because you want to, or worse, because you think it's some industry standard that you have to adhere to, that internal links link internally and external links open in a target blank. I've heard that lots of times in my life. That is not an industry standard. I don't know who told you that, but it's super, isn't?
0: Yeah, no, no. I think it just gets abused. I, I would, I, I would use it sparingly. the The number of times you use it should be, I don't know, pretty low. So,
1: think of the I UX. Can't,
0: can't think of the last time I used it. I know we used it recently, but it was like for a very specific kind of thing. You know, yeah. it was like if you're going here, you're, you're like. Kind of bouncing out for a one ho- one off kind of thing or something.
1: So Yeah, I don't know. it's not that it doesn't have uses for sure. I have a whole bunch of it in CodePen in all kinds of different places. We have a linter in our JSX that if you use it, it uh, it doesn't talk about the UX because how could it? But it talks. It says it reminds you to use the rel attributes uh, that you yeah. need to have with Good. it for security. Kind of a yes. nice little linter rule, I thought. I
0: like that. You know what grinds my gears a little bit more than a target blank. Mm. i maybe forgot oh no like when articles talk about something but do not link to the source material like the verge have you been to the verge they do this all the time they're like oh tesla you know made a new car blah no link to the tesla website god forbid why would you do that because they would leave your site yeah just like newspapers do
1: that too they don't talk they don't link to stuff
0: yeah they don't link to stuff it's just Put a link, man. Be useful. That's...
1: I don't know. I I couldn't agree more. It's it's just I don't I don't get it. There must have been some decision at some point that's like this will change our like editorial integrity because links have value and something like the New York Times has incredible SEO value so that if you put a link to it in an article that you're you're getting whatever like New York Times level link juice for Google and that can affect what you write about and what you don't write about because certainly you know, if you can get a link in the New York Times, you're just going to beg, plead and steal every journalist over there to write about you. Yeah, and I feel like it changes the game a little bit, but like not enough to not link to stuff. My God, you're crushing it for us our, us readers. Uh, don't make me Google your stupid crap in your article. Put a link.
0: Just yeah. find another way here. Yeah, if Nvidia launches a graphics card, please just link me to the graphics card page. I just yeah. Just
1: please. you put a put a what's the attribute? Isn't there an attribute? No, no, ref, uh, no, something. No
0: refer, yeah. Well, yeah, no refer no, uh, means it just
1: won't. It's like no link juice, but it's not that. Rel, something like that.
0: Rel. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a rel. We're cool. <laughs> no
1: rel. Yeah.
0: No follow. No
1: follow. Is that it? Maybe it's no follow. Like it's like look in some WordPress comments because WordPress puts it in there automatically, I think. So just to avoid like link spam, because I think if they when when WordPress does something like that at scale, it like actually has an impact on the web, you know, like put put no follows on every link in every comment thread. So now spammers have no incentive to put link spam in posts because they'll get nothing for it. I think that's That's awesome.
0: I think that's the way comments should be made. So
1: I don't know if it's, it, I think nofollow is one of them, but I, it might, well, just people don't take would do on their it.
0: name because they knew their name got linked. And so it'd be like, Austin web design is my username, you know? Yeah. Like, right. It goes to my website, you know? I don't
1: know. They do. I long ago, I just stripped all of that crap away from my WordPress site entirely. Like it has comments, but you can't, you can't even leave a link. You can leave a link in the, in the content, but that go runs through a little spam catcher anyway. And if I see a comment that has, that's like blah, blah, even if it's a good comment, but then it links to Austin web design at the bottom. I'm just like
0: spam. Bye bye.
1: Yeah.
0: Adios. So yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like adding value, right? Like, I don't know. I feel that about my inbox too. I got, I get so many. I think I got people wanting their boss on the podcast already today. You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I like, what are you trying to get here, man? This is not normal. People don't act this way. That's what I want to say to them.
1: Like Normal people don't act this way. I really like that, Dave. Thanks for summing up how I feel about all those emails.
0: <laughs> it's just normal people don't act this way. Please be a normal person in my inbox. Please, please,
1: please. Uh, All right, And I guess we better wrap it up. Let's Let's
0: wrap it up. Uh, Hey, thank you dear listener for downloading this in your podcast. Be sure to start our favorite up there so people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at ShopTalkShow for 10s of tweets a month and head over to Patreon.com slash ShopTalkShow to get in that (laughs) Discord. Please. All right. It's fun and we're having fun. Anyway, that's all. Chris, anything else you'd like to say? ShopTalkShow.com